Hey guys, welcome to Relatable. I hope everyone has had a good week so far. Today, we're gonna talk a little bit about Easter since it is Good Friday. We're gonna talk about Bernie Sanders dropping out of the race. You might've forgotten that there's a presidential primary going on. There is. So we'll talk a little bit about that and what that means. And then I'll give you a few updates on coronavirus. And if we have time, I'm going to talk about yet again, yet again, another piece of really bad but popular theology that's been going around. I know I said I was going to talk about toxic mommy culture today, but it didn't seem it didn't seem appropriate for Good Friday. So I think I'm going to talk about that on Monday and if I don't have time for the bad theology that I want to talk about today, I should make that a segment, just bad theology. Um, I will talk about that on Monday. So we'll see about that. But that's what we're going to talk about today. Before we get into a little bit of Easter talk, I want to remind you guys, Blaze TV running a really great deal right now. $30 off a year-long subscription, typically $99 a year, only $69 a year. Lowest price it's ever been, lowest price it ever will be. They're doing that because they know a lot of you out there are looking for good content. Like you might be coming to the Blaze for me, but you might stay for another for another host that's there. You've got Crowder, you've got Mark Levin, you've got Steve Dace, you've got Lauren Chen, you've got a lot of good people. And a lot of them have exclusive content on Blaze TV that you're not gonna be able to get anywhere else. So go to blazetv.com slash Allie, promo code Allie, $69 a year subscription to Blaze TV, well worth your money. Trust me on that one. Okay, let's talk a little bit about Easter. So we talked about earlier this week that it's an odd Easter. We don't have the same traditions that we look forward to every year. For those of you who, like me, you're a new mom, so you're excited about your child experiencing this holiday for the first time. Maybe you were thinking about Easter egg hunts and dressing up and going to church and going to lunch with your family and all of the typical celebrations that you've been doing since you were a child. You're not going to be able to do that this year. And I think it's okay to be sad about that as long as we remember, of course, that the reason that we celebrate Easter is not any of those things. Those are all secondary, tertiary, if not way lower than that. The reason that we celebrate Easter and the reason we have a reason to celebrate this year and every year, no matter where we are or what we're doing, pandemic or not, is because Jesus Christ died and was raised. And because of that, we have victory over sin and death. We are reconciled to God forever. Those of us who have our faith in him, that is our reason to celebrate. So it doesn't matter what else we get to do. All of the other things, yes, I think are blessings and wonderful. I don't think it's bad to get dressed up and to take pictures and of course to go to church and to get together with your family in the Easter egg hunts, Easter baskets, all of that good stuff. That's memory making, that's uh, joy inducing, all of that is well and good. But this year, as we've also talked about this podcast, we're cutting out a lot of the noise that typically surrounds Easter and we have really no, uh, no other option but to celebrate the only reason that exists to celebrate, which is Jesus Christ. Uh, and so that's another silver lining. That's another blessing in this whole pandemic is that yes, every day it seems like there's noise being cut out. I talked about how it's odd walking through life without the background noise that we're typically used to sports, whatever else goes on at this time of year that we're used to watching and checking in on and attending and all that stuff. We don't have that. And so we're forced to focus on the things that matter. We're 
uh, forced to spend time with the people that matter. And all of that is wonderful. And we can thank God for the opportunity, whether that's the reason for all of this or not, we can thank God for the opportunity uh, to focus on the things that matter and pray that he brings our attention to the things that he wants us to Uh, he wants us to pay attention to, but it's also true specifically for Easter that we may have in typical circumstances gotten distracted by all of the very auxiliary, all of the very peripheral uh, celebrations and traditions that, that surround Easter. And now we are forced to focus on the only thing that really matters, the only thing that is ultimately good and right and true and is steadfast and is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow that is trustworthy and that's the gospel of Jesus Christ that does not matter if Jesus didn't raise from the dead. If Jesus didn't rise again, then we are fools, the Bible said. There's no, there's no reason for us to be talking about Jesus at all if he was just a prophet, if he was just a guy who died. There a lot of guys who claim to be important who died. The reason why Jesus is different from all of them is because he was raised from the dead, just like the prophet said he would be, just like he said he would be on the third day. And because of that, we have victory over sin and death. That's what Easter is. And we, whether we're in our pajamas or we decide to get dressed up to sit in our living rooms or drive in congregation, whatever you're doing on Easter in your social distancing quarantine world, uh, that is the reason why we are as joyful as we've ever been, as joyful as we've ever been this Easter because the gospel is the same no matter what. So I'm going to read you uh, a few passages from the Bible that I think orient our minds around what matters, the only thing that matters when it comes to Easter. Um, Acts 2, through 24, men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. He is the only being in all of history who was able to loose those pangs of death. That is why we worship. And because the loosing of those pangs of death also has implication, uh, implications for us who are believers. So 1 Corinthians 15, 54 through 58 says this, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Isn't that what we need to hear right now? That because of the work of the Lord, because of the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, because of the gospel, your labor is not in vain. My labor is not in vain. That means homeschooling your children is not in vain. That means respecting your spouse is not in vain. That means reading your Bible is not in vain. That means even submitting to uh, civil authorities right now, as frustrating as it can be is not in vain. Everything you do to abide by the word of the Lord, to share the gospel, to obey God, to glorify him is not in vain. It doesn't matter what, uh, how exciting you think it is or how inconvenient it sometimes feels to be in the current situation that we're in, everything that you are doing that is according to God's word that glorifies him is not in vain. Isn't that what we need to hear? 
maybe now more than ever, whether you are a nurse, whether you're a grocery store clerk, whether you're a stay-at-home mom, whether you are an essential worker, a non-essential worker, whether you got laid off, whether you're a pastor, whatever it is you're doing, everything that you do for the glory of the Lord is not in vain because of the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that is so encouraging. And then we've got this passage in Romans 8. If you want uh, to be reminded of what our hope is as Christians, of why Easter is important, go read you Romans 8. You can read all of Romans, of course. It's a great book. Romans 8 is a wonderful chapter that if you are following me on social media, you know that I and a lot of other people that follow me are memorizing. We're doing about a verse a day, a little more than that towards the end. And we're through verse 10 right now. And uh, I want to read you not one through 10, but a few other verses. It is Romans 8, 31 through 39 that I want to read you that reminds us of our resurrection hope. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies, who is to condemn. Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Praise God for that. There's so much I want to talk about in these passages because the through line and I'm laughing or I'm smiling right now because I, I'll tell you in a second why, but the through line in all of these passages is the sovereignty of God, the purposefulness of God, that God doesn't do anything arbitrarily. He doesn't sit back and just say, well, let's see what's going to happen. He does everything with purpose. He does everything with foreknowledge. He does everything with specificity. There's nothing that goes on that he doesn't know about and that he doesn't in some way will. That doesn't mean that everything that we do makes him happy. Of course, he has a moral will as is outlined in the Bible. There's real evil and real good, and he determines what that is. Um, And everyone is responsible for their actions. People are responsible for their evil. You can read this seeming quandary in Romans 9, and you can see what the reconciliation for that is. But God is absolutely sovereign. There is nothing that can be done outside of his will. Remember, if not even a sparrow can fall out of the sky apart from God's will, there is nothing in all of creation, in all of history, in all of eternity that can happen apart from God's will. If this God, who Romans 8 said, did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, if he was sovereign even over that, what seemed at the at the time as a tragedy, we can be sure that he is sovereign over all things. Now, the reason why... I started to smirk just a little bit when I said the through line in all those passages is because I read what I just thought was, 
I don't know how else to say it, but it was cute. It was sweet, a review that someone left on the Apple podcast app that said, if there's one thing I learned from this podcast, it's that not even a bird falls out of the sky apart from the father's will, because I'm pretty sure Allie says that on every episode. And I loved that review because it's true. The sovereignty of God is... Uh, obviously, well, it's not obvious to a lot of people, but it is such an important part of theology. It is really the bedrock of good theology. And there's so much pervasive, popular, bad theology out there that wants nothing to do with the sovereignty of God that says, oh, bad things aren't God's fault. Okay. Was Jesus's death not God's fault? Did God not author that? Because that was seen as a bad thing. Then three days later, not so much, 2000 years, not so much. Um, Things that seem bad, yes, God is still in control of them. That doesn't mean that bad things please him. Certainly evil doesn't please him. He punishes evil. He will punish evil once and for all. He will rule in perfect peace. Satan will be bound uh, forever. But is he sovereign still over all of it? Absolutely. And that is including salvation. We can read Romans 9 and you can uh, get into all the complexities of that if you would like. Now, speaking of Romans 8, this wonderful passage that I encourage you to read over the next few days as you uh, ask God to prepare your heart and your mind to worship him over Easter. Those of you who are memorizing this with me, like I said, we're on verse 10, but today as I'm recording this is the ninth. I don't have verses 9 and 10 memorized yet. One of you asked me if I could recite it on every episode so you guys can recite it with me. I will try. I get a little nervous when I'm reciting it in this, although I do I do it on Instagram stories, so I'm not really sure why I get nervous, but I might have to look down a little bit. I'll say it nevertheless so that you guys can say it with me. And if you have it, if you haven't memorized Romans 8, like if you're behind and you still want to do it, you can either catch up or you can go at your own pace and you can end 10 days after us. I really encourage you to memorize this. The reason why I did it is because John Piper recommended it on his podcast, Ask Pastor John, thought it was a good idea. And a lot of you have been doing it and you've been sharing with me on Instagram and you're doing an excellent job. So here we are, verses one through 10. Like I said, I don't know, nine and 10. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their mind on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit set their mind on the things of the spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If in fact the spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the spirit of God, a spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit of life, uh, the spirit is life because of righteousness. That is Romans 8, 1 through 10. And if you have memorized that, good heckin' job, you guys. And if you're a couple days behind, you can get caught up. Use the weekend to get caught up. You can do it. I promise you can do it. Write it out, recite it over and over again, listen to it a million times. However your brain logs in information to memorize it, that's what you gotta do. I promise you can do it. You guys are doing a great job. Keep sharing with me on social media. Okay, 
Moving on. So Jesus up, raised from the dead. Hallelujah. Got a reason to celebrate. Bernie out. Bernie is out of the presidential primary. Now, I don't know if you forgot that there's a presidential primary happening. There is. There was. Now, we have a presumptive nominee. We're pretty sure that Joe Biden is going to be a nominee. The problem is, guys, and I, again, I'm not trying to be rude. I'm not trying to be rude. I'm being very objective about this. Joe Biden might have a lot of decent qualities, okay? He might have a lot of decent qualities. And back in his heyday, he might, like, if this were Joe Biden 30 years ago, but going against Donald Trump in 2020, we might have a real contender for the Democratic nominee. And hey, we still might have a real contender because there are a lot of people who really hate Donald Trump. But the Joe Biden today, and I don't mean to make light of this, okay? He cannot talk. Okay, that's our problem. He cannot talk. I don't know if you've seen his messages that have been going out in light of all of this, and God bless him, I think he means well, or his interviews that he's been doing, or the video that he did with his wife where he asked his wife, am I supposed to say something right now? I mean, there's just a lot of reason to wonder if he is fully there. There have been quite a few takedowns of Joe Biden in the mainstream media and on Twitter. And I won't play those for you today because that's not the vibe that I'm going for right now. But I'm being in all honesty, okay? I'm not sure if cognitively he has sufficient capability to not not just run for president, but to actually be the president of the United States. Now, if he were the president of the United States, it would be weakened at Bernie's, Democrats would be propping him up, wouldn't matter if he were alive or dead, he would just kind of be the vessel through which Democrats accomplish their radical agenda because he doesn't have a whole lot of ideas. We're talking about Biden here. Um, I get their names confused sometimes. We're talking about Biden. He doesn't have a whole lot of ideas and he's not very strong on anything. Like he will, he is like a, just a willow in the wind. He is just waving back and forth, depending on whichever way the wind blows him. And the wind is typically the outrage mop in our little analogy here. And he is willing to say, oh, I support the Hyde Amendment. No, I don't support the Hyde Amendment. Oh, I'm for deporting illegal immigrants like we did when I was the VP. No, I'm not. I'm not for that. Oh, I'm, I'm not for Medicare for all, but I am kind of for Medicare for all. And Bernie bros, uh, I don't need your support. Actually, I do need your support. So he's gone back and forth on a lot of things, and we're not totally sure if he has any principles left anymore, any ideas, or even the function in his brain to come up with any kind of innovative ideas. I do think that, you know, he means well. I think that he probably in his heart of hearts wants the best for the country. I think that there are a lot of people that would vote for him just as an alternative to Donald Trump. He's going to have a hard time getting the Bernie supporters because the Bernie supporters are part of an ideological movement. So there is a phrase on the left that's vote blue no matter who because they hate Donald Trump, they're gonna vote for a Democrat no matter what. And hey, there are a lot of people on the right that would vote red no matter what too. There's not as catchy of a, of a rhyme there, but they will vote red 
no matter what, because they're just anti-Democrat. There are a lot of people on the left like that too, so their little hashtags vote blue no matter who. All of those people are obviously going to vote for Joe Biden, but there are people that supported Bernie Sanders who are absolutely devastated, who still thought that there was a narrow path to the nomination, that there was a possibility that Bernie Sanders would become president. Bernie Sanders got screwed in some ways by the establishment, but really he just didn't have the electability factor. He knows that now there just aren't enough people in the country who are willing to vote for a socialist and he is not quite likable enough. He's just not quite appealing enough, especially to, to women. He's just very off-putting. So is Trump in a lot of ways, but so is Bernie Sanders on the other side. And so he just didn't do himself any favors with his ideology or, or with his mannerisms and personality. But there are people who also say not any, I'm not going to vote blue no matter who, but they say not any blue will do. So they have another little phrase. I don't think those people are going to vote for Donald Trump. I think they could vote for an independent. They could write in Bernie Sanders or they're just not going to vote at all. And I actually think that that is probably the most likely scenario that all of these people who absolutely love Bernie Sanders and who don't like Joe Biden, who see Joe Biden and Nancy Pelosi and these establishment Democrats as part of the problem, that they are not going to vote for Joe Biden or they wouldn't vote for any establishment candidate because a lot of these people that support Bernie Sanders do not consider themselves Democrats because remember, Bernie Sanders is not a Democrat. Like he is, uh, he's he's an independent, and he's always been an independent. Now, obviously, he's on the left side of the aisle, and he's run for the Democratic nomination twice now. But he is not a registered Democrat, and a lot of the people who support him are not registered Democrats. They're socialists. They are for his ideas. Bernie Sanders, with all of his flaws, with all of his terrible, terrible ideas, and I just assume terrible hygiene as well because he was kicked out of a commune a, a while ago, uh, I, he at least is consistent. Like he at least at the very, now he's been consistently wrong, consistently dumb in his ideas, but he has been consistent. He has been honest and straightforward in a, in a lot of ways. Now he has changed his mind on things like immigration. He really used to be more of a nationalist than he is now. He's moved even further to the left on that stuff, but on the communism and on the social issues, he has remained about the same. And there are a lot of people, especially a lot of young people that are just fed up with Washington that really like him. Of course, they like the idea of everyone getting, quote, free stuff from the government. They think that sounds good. He is really good at making a moral argument. And I think that appeals to a lot of people, especially a lot of people that don't have a biblical foundation at all and don't understand, quite honestly, the evils of bureaucracy and big government, it sounds good to say the government should be taking care of people. What's wrong with that? But if this pandemic is any indication, uh, the government is really inefficient and ineffective. And they think that if we just switch presidents, if we just have a benevolent dictator like Bernie Sanders, the people who support him think that things will be better, that they'll be efficient. But the fact of the matter is, is that Bernie Sanders has never proven whatsoever that he has any good leadership skills at all. He just does this pie in the sky stuff. He just puts out these ideas that kind of sound good and kind of sound appealing to people who aren't just thinking very hard about them. 
and he yells and he points his finger and he gets very angry and that riles people up and gets people outraged and gets people to support him, but he's never actually proven that he can lead anything, that he can organize anything, that he can produce any sort of formidable outcome. And so he would be a terrible president. The whole thing that we're going through right now would, I guarantee you, would be a thousand times worse under a Bernie Sanders presidency as it is under a Trump presidency. So Bernie Sanders is out and he should have gotten out earlier because voters have still been voting in primaries around the country and in the midst of a pandemic. And he could have said, you know, I'm dropping out and maybe those people wouldn't have gone out to vote for him in the primary if that were the case. But he just dropped out this week. He said sayonara and he said, you know, he's going to do whatever he can to get Biden to be nominated. And so he obviously has a goal of defeating Trump no matter what, even if Biden represents the establishment that he doesn't like. We'll see what's going to happen. I don't know why I just don't feel like Biden's actually going to be the nominee. I don't know who would be the nominee, but it's hard for me to believe that Democrats are going to allow that to happen. I just don't. I, there's no way that you can watch the guy in an interview and say, yeah, he can make it against Trump. I mean, it's going to be an absolute disaster area for the for the debates. Now, will it be entertaining? Yes. It's also... It's a question of what's going to happen in November. Are we going to be able to go out and vote like usual? Now, you probably heard that Democrats are pushing, uh, they're pushing mail-in ballots that everyone can, uh, that everyone can vote just at home and they can send it in and then we don't have to worry about a pandemic and all of that. Of course, the problem is voter fraud. Now, there are quite a few states that already have the option of mailing in your ballot, but we would have to see some kind of system that prevents fraud. Now, Democrats are very loosey-goosey when it comes to the integrity of elections, believe it or not, because they've been talking about Russian collusion for the past three years, but they are. They're very sketchy about the integrity of elections because they don't think that you should have to present any kind of valid ID in order to vote, even though you have to present valid ID to do a lot of things that are much less consequential than voting. They think that that's racist, that that is uh, discriminatory towards poor people, but anyone can get some kind of ID. It doesn't have to be a driver's license, but they think that that should not be necessary. Of course, we've heard Democrats say that they think illegal immigrants should vote. AOC believes that. Stacey Abrams believes that. They think citizenship is basically moot, that you should just be basically, you should enjoy all of the rights and privileges of being a citizen without actually going through the citizenship process, and they would include voting in that, of course. So uh, that's something that's happening right now. It'll be interesting to see how this plays out. Like I said on Wednesday, I think, it's going to be really difficult. If the economy does bounce back, things get better, and we go back to some kind of sense of normalcy over the summer or even in the early fall, then that is going to be Trump's legacy. He got us through the greatest crisis in American history, well, in our lifetimes at the very least. And that's going to be very hard to beat. And I think the Democrats know that. Now, if we are still sluggish, if things are just still dragging come September, October, November, it's going to be very difficult for him to win. So we'll see what the strategy is for Democrats besides the mail-in ballot thing. And besides just dragging this out as long as possible, so Trump looks bad and writing 
terrible news stories about him. We'll see what happens. It's a very consequential, a very important, a very interesting year, a very historic year. Uh, there are some other things going on around the country that I just wanted to just wanted to point out. So I don't know how many of you are doing like drive-in services for your church. I think that's a really cool idea. Everyone stays in their car. You could turn on, uh, you can turn the dial on the radio. You go to a particular radio station that is broadcasting the pastor and you listen to your pastor in, I guess, like the same parking lot as everyone else in your church, but you're not actually with them. Well, unfortunately, in Nevada, they have, or Nevada, someone corrected me one time. Nevada, I think it's correct. Um, in Nevada, the governor has said, well, sorry, that's illegal. You can't do that. So tell me the thought process behind that, because I'm just a little bit confused. There are other people who have been arrested for not violating any kind of social distancing policies that I can think of. There was a dad that got arrested in front of his six-year-old daughter in Colorado for playing uh, like baseball at a park with her completely by themselves, not around anyone. And the police came and arrested him in front of his daughter. And he made a really good point in an interview. He said, they were the ones that were violating social distancing rules. There were multiple police officers. They didn't have masks on. They didn't have gloves on. Put me in a car. Like, that's a lot more risk than them playing by themselves in a field. But we've got a lot of petty people out there that are on power trips right now that are making policies that are more about control than public health. Not all these policies, but some of them. And one of them, I think, is this policy in Nevada of of congregations not being able to sit in a parking lot in all of their separate cars and listen to their pastor. Why? Who are they infecting that way? It's crazy to me that people are being controlled even in their own cars, even in ways that obviously have nothing to do whatsoever with the spread of the coronavirus. So someone's gonna have to riddle me that. I just don't really understand how it's happening. Another thing, another policy that I don't like, there are policies like this going, they're going on all across the country, which is honestly very frightening. But in Roanoke, Virginia, there is a children's hospital there that is now not allowing uh, parents to be with their children in the NICU for the foreseeable future. Look, I understand this is not doctors and nurses' fault, so don't think that I am uh, hating on doctors and nurses who have to make very hard decisions, and I know the doctors and nurses in the NICU are doing the absolute best that they possibly can, and they just have to roll with the decisions that the hospital makes. Totally understand that. And this is a hard decision. Obviously, you don't want someone with coronavirus to come into the NICU and to get either the nurses and the doctors sick or much more importantly, to get these uh, sickly in some ways and in a lot of ways are premature uh, babies sick who are already fragile, who already have limited uh, immune system capacity, who are already fighting multiple things. I totally understand that. But there have to be some ways to let a parent, to let a mom be able to uh, spend time with her baby in the NICU. I cannot even imagine, you guys, any of you moms who, and I'm specifically talking to moms who have given birth because there's no way, even if you're a dad, that you can understand what it feels like after you give birth, just the emotional tidal wave that hits you. Yes, it does hit dads, but it's not the same. Just the hormones and all of the stuff that comes with giving birth, especially if you had any sort of traumatic birth or your child is premature or your child is sick whatever it is, it's, it's 
even exacerbated these feelings of protectiveness and just wanting to hold your baby and protect your baby and feed your baby and all of these things. I mean, even if your birth goes fine and you get to hold your baby right away and everything is perfect, you still are an emotional mess in a lot of ways. You're still worried and anxious and you can't sleep because you're watching your baby breathe times that by a thousand. And that's what a parent I imagine feels when their baby is in the NICU. And you are up from what I've heard from friends who have had babies in the NICU, you are up constantly uh, trying to uh, be at the hospital for as long as you possibly can to be with your baby, to do skin to skin. I mean, the scientific benefits of skin to skin are incredible. They're, they are numerous. The first few hours and days and weeks and months of a baby's life are so important and so formative. And it is crucial for the parents, for the mom especially, to be able to be there. I mean, you see better outcomes in kids getting out of the NICU faster. The more time they're able to spend with their parents, they heal better. They are, they grow more quickly. They gain weight more quickly, all of that stuff. And I cannot imagine the emotional emotional and physical and spiritual toll this is taking on the parents and on the children for them to be separated. There has to be some kind of policy that can be instilled here in order to allow parents to see their kids in the NICU. Can you do rapid testing? Can you do temperature testing? Can you give them some PPE, some masks, some gloves? I understand you don't wanna run through all that stuff, but it seems like this is a relatively small group of people that desperately need to be there for their children, for their own sanity, for the sake of bonding, for the even physical health of their babies. I mean, guys, if this were to happen to me, I am surprised there aren't more moms out there breaking down walls. Maybe there are. I mean, you would have to strap me down and wheel me out of the hospital before I left my baby in the NICU. And I know that I can get a witness out there. I know that there are a lot of women out there who are like, yeah, me too. If you tried to separate me from my child in the hospital and you did not allow me to see my child in the NICU, I mean, honestly, you would have to tranquilize me before I walked out of there without my baby. This is a terrible policy. It's a terrible policy. And there, are, I understand, there are a lot of different things to think about there, not the doctors and nurses' fault. I get that. There needs to be a, some kind of protection safety measures that are implemented in order to protect the parents and protect the baby while still allowing them to be together. It doesn't make any sense. It's probably more risky for those doctors and nurses who are in the NICU to be around the babies than it is for the parents because the doctors and nurses have to go home and to be around their families too. They're probably much more susceptible to getting the coronavirus, being at the hospital all day than these parents are. These poor parents are probably going home, sitting by themselves, watching their hands a million times and are probably not around anyone else. Like they're probably not going to get coronavirus and they're probably not gonna pass it on to their babies. And these doctors and nurses might. So again, it doesn't make any sense. It does not make any sense. Come up with better policies, people. There are so many policies across the country right now that are so draconian, so much seemingly about just power and control rather than about public health that you can't blame people when they take a step back and they say, hang on, hang on, what's going on here? Is this worth it? Especially since we continue to see the models change. 
models, we heard first 2.2 million people are gonna die in this country. Then we heard, oh, that's probably 1 million people. Okay, it's probably 200,000. Actually, it's probably 100,000. Latest estimate, 60,000. And we heard a couple weeks ago, oh, by next week, all of the hospitals are going to be completely overwhelmed and they're just going to be overflowing with people and we're gonna run out of all of the equipment and the ventilators that we need and people are gonna die because our health system is, is it's gonna be overwhelmed. It's not gonna be able to handle it. Okay, a week went by. Yes, there are some hospitals, especially in New York, that are at capacity right now. But according to Governor Cuomo, there has not been a shortage of anything so far. And we're not at capacity. In fact, a lot of hospitals actually have a lot less business than usual because elective surgeries have been canceled and people aren't going into the emergency room for petty things like they used to before. And so, it hasn't panned out quite yet, and I hope it doesn't. I hope it flatlines, like I hope it plateaus. That would be awesome and wonderful. I don't know, it could get a lot worse. Like we could peak and we could, you know, there could be thousands of more cases next week. I hope that's not the case. But it's not crazy for people to wonder, hang on, did we take the right measures here? Was this really effective? Because we've got millions of people who lost their jobs, millions of people who are stuck in their homes, millions of people who are suffering from depression, can't get the help that they need, don't have the connection that they need. People are getting arrested for playing baseball in a park by themselves with their daughter. People are not able to see their child in the NICU. Uh, people are getting stopped at random stop signs and crosswalks for driving around by themselves. Um, it's okay for people to wonder, is this all worth it? Is it helping? I think everyone wants to save as many lives as possible. No one wants to get coronavirus. No one wants anyone else to get coronavirus. And I think we all want to do everything we can to prevent that from happening as much as, as is within our power. But I think it's okay for us to also wonder, is this, are we doing the right things? Is like suspending all of our civil liberties, a lot of our civil liberties necessary for all of this? Is it helpful? Is it beneficial for us to close down all the small businesses? I just don't know. I think it, I think it's a good question to ask. Um, okay, that's all I have time for today. I will talk about the bad theology on Monday. It'll be a good episode, but I hope you guys enjoyed this. I hope that you guys have a wonderful weekend, a wonderful Easter, and I will see you back here on Monday. 